Acts 18, verse 24 through 19, verse 7. Let us take heed how we hear, for these are the words of God. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word, rejoice to know that he adds his blessing to the preaching of it. Please be seated. Even those whom the Lord uses are still growing Uh, This is certainly the case with Apollos. Uh, You can see how he does use him in Ephesus. Paul comes behind him and finds these men who only know of the same baptism that uh, Apollos knew of uh, because Apollos was the one uh, through whom they had come uh, to know the truth about the Lord Jesus and uh, to uh, be committed to living rightly as the Lord Jesus commands in his word, as God commands in his word. Uh, And yet often uh, we have the weaknesses of those who have taught us. Uh, And so uh, Apollos, still growing in the passage, uh, has apparently taught these men that Paul uh, encounters in chapter 19 before Aquila and Priscilla taken aside uh, in the end of chapter 18. Uh, And so Uh, they are making the same uh, mistake or they have the same weakness, the same lack that Apollos had 
before Aquila and Priscilla take him aside, having known only the baptism of John. And this does bring up for us what is the usefulness of Christian baptism? What is the difference that is made uh, between Apollos when he only knows the baptism of John uh, and Apollos after he is instructed? Uh, And uh, what is the difference for these 12 men who only know the baptism of John having been instructed uh, by Apollos uh, and uh, who come to know Christian baptism? Uh, And the great difference is that Christian baptism is not a baptism that says that we need repentance. It is a baptism that comes in connection with resting upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And particularly knowing that not only is Jesus the king who was promised, who would come and have a kingdom of repentant people, sort of like we were uh, hearing about from Psalm 72 uh, in the Sabbath school this morning, but that Jesus Christ is the second person of the triune God and that he has poured out the third person of the triune God. And that it is through grace that we believe. And it is through grace that we grow in our faith. And so there is much that we learn uh, from Christian baptism, much that you need in your daily life to learn from your baptism, to be reminded of and taught. uh, As we are all tempted to think that uh, knowing some accurate doctrine and being committed to some sound morals uh, is the Christian life. Uh, Now, those things are necessary and important because they are Christ's. But as we'll come to hear uh, from this passage, it is Christ who is the Christian life. It is his spirit applying him to us that produces the growth in grace. Uh, And so uh, the great difference between the baptisms is one, there's a baptism that called us to something necessary called the people to something necessary. None of us have received uh, the baptism of John. Uh, One was uh, something that called the people to something necessary, repentance. But the other is the baptism commanded by the one who gives the true baptism from heaven. And so we have this difference between the early Apollos and the late Apollos in the first place. And then the difference between John's baptism and their being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus in the second place. Uh, And uh, it uh, divides fairly evenly right at the chapter division. So the early Apollos was actually one who had been uh, much prepared by God. He, He had accurate Christology and he had accurate morality. And we actually have it in Uh, I've uh, just noticed that I've uh, flipped the order in which we get it in the text. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Uh, That is to say, he had been instructed in the way that those who follow Jesus live. Uh, The word for way is the same uh, as a word that means path or direction. Uh, It is uh, how you walk. We are accustomed to using 
that sort of language. And so he had been instructed accurately uh, in uh, morality. Uh, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately. And the word things there is uh, actually just being supplied. He taught accurately that which is of the Lord. Uh, he taught accurately, probably here, of the Lord himself, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of David, he is the promised one, that the kingdom has come because the king is here, and that the subjects of the king live in a particular way. Now, there are many in the churches, there are many in the churches uh, for whom this is uh, the the. Uh, meat and drink of their Christianity. This is, uh, uh, they identify true things about Jesus, and uh, so far this is true of Jesus, so far as it goes, uh, and they identify a right way to live, uh, but it's all uh, philosophy and procedure. It is not the receiving of union with a person who is the second person of the triune Godhead who by his grace gives us to believe into him so that we receive life from him. And that it is by that life that he gives us, by the work of his own spirit whom he pours out, that we have come to believe and that we grow in faith and that we have come to repent and that we grow in our repentance. And so you perhaps have met people in churches, I dare say, there may be among us, uh, in a group this size, in a Reformed church, many of us here today, who rather than your day-to-day being the knowledge of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ sustaining you in learning and believing the truth uh, about him, rather than your day-to-day being the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with you, applying Christ to you, your day-to-day is... Uh, I am a Christian, so these are the things that, uh, these are the theological facts that I believe, and I am a Christian, so this is the procedure in my life that I follow. Now, there's nothing wrong with theological facts. They're way better than theological falsehoods. And there is nothing wrong with morality. It is for immorality that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of of disobedience. But the Christian life is a life of right theology received from the triune God and understood and apprehended, laid hold of by the gracious work of God the Holy Spirit applying to us the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is not merely knowing and following morality, but living in dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's having his life in us and union and communion with him as ministered to us by his Holy Spirit. It is knowing that we are crucified with Christ and that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life that we live, we live by faith into the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. This was the great thing, the great difference uh, between early Apollos and late Apollos. Uh, And so when you begin at first and you say he was instructed in the way of the Lord, he was instructed in kingdom living, you think, well, that's wonderful. That's great. And it is. Look at how the nation perishes 
for not walking in the ways of King Jesus. And look at how many of the churches that give some form of lip service to grace, yet it is not a trans, a grace that transforms. It is speaking about a Christ who does not make the difference in how his people think. He does not make the difference in how his people live. And so the nation and so many of the churches and so many in the churches are, are living in death because of lack of, uh, of, uh, knowledge of true doctrine, lack of living in true morality. And so we hear about the the early Apollos, and we can compare him, sadly, to much of what we hear and see in the churches in our day. Perhaps you, perhaps you have not cared so much about Christian doctrine. Perhaps a conference on the, uh, the Trinity last week, five long lectures, on the the triune God uh, sounds uh, boring and abstract and irrelevant to you. Uh, perhaps morality is not that important to you. After all, Jesus died for my sins. I've got my get out of punishment free card. I'm going to be happy with the world now, and I'll be happy with you know my own version of heaven, which is just worldliness on steroids later. Uh, if you're in that condition, then you are worse off than early Apollos, aren't you? But when we hear the difference between early Apollos and late Apollos, between the theology plus morality equals Christianity, early Apollos, versus the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost from all eternity planning to save, having sent the Son, who is my righteousness, who has atoned for my sin, and who is now my life, as he has poured out his Holy Spirit to make himself my life. And this is what is giving me his mind, so that I can understand his word and love doctrine and grow in that theology, which is never now abstract and dusty and irrelevant, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity having purposed to conform me to the image of the Son. That's what we're predestined for, not to be forgiven. Those whom he foreknew, he also he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What does his Son look like? Perfectly moral, a perfect human example now in his incarnation of obedience to the law of God. Uh, And now it is that life in Christ as his spirit, whom he has poured out, is conforming us to himself. That is Christian morality. So while much of the church falls short even of early Apollos, when you compare Apollos with just the baptism of John to that which Christ teaches us and shows us in Christian baptism, which John himself told those whom he was baptizing to look forward to. We say it's night and day. One is a religion like many of the religions of the world, but without sovereign grace, without sovereign power, without fellowship with the living God, without a life that flows 
into and out of, out of and into delighting in him and bringing him honor and glory, not by what I do for him, but what he does in me to produce what I do that shows forth his glory in my life. And so it is really all the difference in the world. What was missing? What was missing uh, from early Apollos? Uh, those things that are especially taught by Christian baptism. That Jesus is not just God the Son, but he is the visible display of the invisible triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is his name. Have you ever wondered about that? We have in this passage, if we get, if we get to the end of it um, uh, today, uh, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have never administered a Christian baptism and said, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Lord Jesus' great name, he has many names, doesn't he? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all of those wonderful names. But his great name, the one that when he institutes Christian baptism, he says, this is the one to use. The Lord Jesus' great name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because he is the second person of the triune God. He is all of God that we will ever see. Remember Philip asking him, show us the Father. And Jesus doesn't you know, get into some of the details that we got into last week gloriously uh, of uh, the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and uh, how the, the scripture uh, sometimes uh, appropriates you know, for, uh, uh, particular things that God does to one of the persons, although everything that God does uh, is the action of all of the persons. And uh, I hope that, that you picked up a bunch of that and that you'll keep coming back and learning. And uh, I'd be glad to, to help any of you uh, in that. No, when, when Philip says, show us the Father, Jesus says, have I been with you so long, Philip? And you still don't know me. Now the Father did not become flesh. Only the Son became flesh. And yet Jesus is so much the full revelation of the triune God to us that what is especially taught by Christian baptism is that it is the triune God who accomplishes and applies redemption by his grace. Especially now Remember what we said, in every act of the triune God, all three persons act as one. But in his speaking to us, he uses the appropriation. Uh, and so especially the, the Father purposing in the Son to save us by his grace. The Son coming and accomplishing our redemption by his grace. And the Spirit applying that redemption to us. And this is the great thing as the Father in the fullness of time sent his Son into the world to be born of a woman and born under the law. And then he says to, to his disciples on the night before he, he gets crucified, I'm leaving. 
he's leaving. He's going to die for our sins and rise again from the dead and then just leave. Sure, he's accomplished the redemption, but how is the redemption going to be applied? How are we supposed to come to faith? We don't have life in us. And once we come to faith, how are we supposed to kill our remaining sin? How are we supposed to grow in grace? He says, I will send another helper. And so, you know, Galatians 4, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. But Jesus describes it primarily in terms of his pouring out his spirit, his baptizing with the spirit. And he commands that uh, the apostles and that the church baptize with water. Well, more on that later. Uh, when we get to Paul. Uh, but you see even how uh, God's providence in Apollos' life uh, before this instruction uh, from uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla uh, had prepared him to be used uh, for the good of the church. Uh, first of all, he was a Jew, which means he has a heritage. This is the great advantage of the Jews. Uh, As we heard already in Romans 3, they have the oracles of God. uh, And we'll hear again uh, in Romans chapter 9 in in, uh, the midweek preaching. Uh, He's born in Alexandria, uh, which means that he was born in a city of great learning. Uh, uh, Several uh, uh, philosophical schools in Alexandria, great library. It would uh, give him skill in the use of, Uh, of language and of speech. In fact, it says uh, that he's an eloquent man. Uh, And so the Lord had given him full advantage of the providence uh, of being born in Alexandria. But not just an eloquent man who was mighty in Greek philosophy, uh, but in God's providence, uh, he had the eloquence from where he was culturally, but his mightiness, in verse 24, is in the scriptures. Now here's a man who comes to Ephesus and he's been instructed in the way of the Lord. And what uh, what else has the Lord done? Not only uh, those kind of general providences and uh, in the circumstances of his life, but even what the Lord had worked in him. Now, some of this may be uh, restraining grace. Some of this may be renewing grace. Many of us uh, have a uh, a history of God's work in our life where he restrained our sin and gave us particular uh, personalities and he gave us even our personality and yet we're not exactly sure at what point he gave us the new birth. And yet is it not the Holy Spirit who is upholding and always working even upon the reprobate? He restrains their sin and he does things uh, to them and in them that are for the good of others. Not resurrecting them spiritually, Those who are not going to believe in Jesus Christ are never made alive spiritually by the Holy Spirit. That's something that uh, Wesley and other Arminians came up with to try and explain away true doctrine of how God saves. But everything that is good in man is entirely the mercy of God, the Holy Spirit to him. Even if he is still spiritually dead. So we're not sure exactly uh, when He's reborn. Is his fervency in spirit, is that from the flesh or is that from the spirit? 
I think on balance in, in the passage, it seems to be clear that before he knew that it was the Holy Spirit doing this to him by sovereign grace, the Holy Spirit was doing it to him. This is one of the reasons you don't have to be Reformed or Calvinist to be saved. Because God is already Reformed and Calvinist. And the Holy Spirit doesn't need your permission to give you spiritual life and to give you faith. Often he saves you first, and then he teaches you that it was he who had done it later. Which is what is happening with Apollos here, isn't it? And so we can see and appreciate the work that the triune God was doing in this man, both for his own salvation and for the good that he was doing the church. And so you can bless God, not only for the work that he is doing in you, but even for the work that he is doing in others whose theology is not better yet. Sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes, uh, I, I think some of you think that I'm joking when I refer to Spurgeon being Presbyterian now or Sproul having you know, come to better apply or better understand the regulative principle or, uh, or other men who are you know, lionized but are in error in one thing or another in this life. But it is good for us to know that God's use of the truth, God's the reality of God's work in us is always better than our understanding of it. Mine and yours included. As we grow in our understanding of doctrine, we are growing in the understanding of the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. The God who has come into this world in Jesus Christ to save sinners. The God who is now indwelling Christians whom he has made alive as the Holy Spirit. And so we have these evidences of renewing grace, this fervency in spirit, and what uh, is uh, a rarer, uh, or maybe just different, an another uh, indication of renewing grace, the humility, uh, the humility that God gave Apollos. Uh, and this is uh, this brings us to if you're uh, following along the the way that he was matured. Look at all that goes into his being matured. Aquila and Priscilla apparently are not preaching in the synagogue. You remember when they had come to uh, Ephesus uh, with Paul from Corinth. Uh, Paul had uh, left them. They had, they had separated, and it was Paul who had gone into the synagogue. And Paul had preached, and he was well-received. They said, come back. And he said, can't go into Jerusalem. So that's how things were left in, uh, earlier in the chapter. Uh, and Priscilla and Aquila now are, we assume, tent-making uh, in Ephesus. And Apollos comes, and Apollos is, uh, is going to synagogue, and he is speaking boldly in the synagogue. And who's there? Who's Who's... Uh, who's uh, attending on the Jewish Sabbath at the synagogue? Aquila and Priscilla. And they hear a guy saying, Jesus Christ is the son of David, the anointed king who was to come. And we must all repent and live righteously according to the law of God, for he is the king who will, uh, who will lead the repentant people. And they hear him accurate, speaking accurately. The right way to live. 
accurately the identity of Jesus as the Christ. But they don't hear about God the Holy Spirit. And they don't hear about Jesus being the Son of God. God the Son. What do they do? They don't rise up and denounce him publicly. They have wisdom, don't they? They see that which is lacking, that which is imperfect. And they have wisdom not only to see it and to know uh, what the solution is for it, but they also have that combination of wisdom and kindness to give the man to be able to save face. They are leather workers. And he is a Jew from Alexandria who is educated and eloquent and mighty in the scriptures. Maybe, probably not since they got to you know, do their day job with Paul for an extended period of time, but maybe able to uh, Bible circles around Aquila and Priscilla. And yet God the Holy Spirit has given this man the humility to learn from the leather workers. That's something that's sorely needed, isn't it? Uh, for those who have an academic education, you know, the idea of the tyranny of the academic or the reality of the tyranny of the academic, it's not a new thing in the church. It still is a thing uh, in the church. Uh, but a great antidote is when God gives not just knowledge of abstraction, but the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart to conform the mind and the heart to Jesus, who though being God himself, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, he humbled himself. He took the form of a bond slave. He was gentle and lowly. And so God gives, uh, God gives Apollos the humility that he needs. Uh, and then uh, the Holy Spirit has not just worked wisdom in Aquila and Priscilla and, and kindness uh, in Aquila and Priscilla, which, uh, by which Apollos' ministry is safeguarded. Right? They take him aside privately. Uh, it doesn't diminish uh, the ability of others to hear what he says. He hasn't been reduced in their eyes. Uh, but then also there is uh, the diligence uh, he in his diligence wants to go to Corinth they uh, in their diligence uh, and other uh, brethren with them write uh, and tell the disciples to receive him uh, when he gets there he help, greatly helps those who had what believed through grace grace first Grace gives faith. You know, so often we come to Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9 to try to talk to someone about where saving faith comes from. It's not something you could be manipulated into. It's not something you can work up in yourself. It has to be a gift that God gives. It cannot come from a dead person and it cannot be given to a dead person by even an alive person. But here you have uh, three words at the end. Uh, uh, towards the end of Acts 18, that also settle the doctrine. They had believed through grace. And that is, isn't it, a, a very succinct way of highlighting one of the things that Apollos needed instruction in. That it is the pouring out of God the Holy Spirit that gives 
faith. It is the gracious God giving from his power, from his righteousness, from his goodness, from his life to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. The work of salvation is a work of the triune God from start to finish. Uh, and so uh, so he, he comes and uh, the, the people in, uh, in Corinth now, the believers in, in Corinth, are all the more precious to him. Why? Because they're not just guys who have agreed with the same ideas that he has and who are committed to the same uh, obedience that he has. You know, kind of like a social media post in which people are commenting and you're kind of trying to identify which ones in the comment thread you know, agree with you and do things your way. And you're like, they're my guys. You know, and we're going to back each other up and, you know, you know, you Facebook creep him and then you hit the friend button. No, it's much more precious to say these who are believing, the reason they believe is because the triune God has set his love upon them from before the world began. And God the Son laid down his life for them. And then he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he's poured out his spirit and the Holy Spirit gave them life. The greatness of the fellowship that comes from recognizing one another as objects of sovereign, triune, saving grace. That's what produces the real fellowship. To the extent that we love each other well. That is what is behind. Now we agree on lots of things theologically and morally and politically and all those things. But the great thing that makes us or ought to drive us to want to be used of God to greatly help one another is to get to participate in the work of the triune God of sovereign grace in one another's life and see each other as having been treasured by the living God from before the world began. Believed through grace. But even after believing through grace, we need help. They still needed help. They were believers, but the Lord had not produced in them all that he had produced in Apollos. So he helps them in vigorously refuting the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And he's, he's preaching that Jesus is the Christ the same way uh, Paul uh, had also showed from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, or testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Remember back in verse 5. Uh, and, the, and the response in verse 6, they opposed him and what? Blasphemed. Why? Because this preaching of Jesus as the Christ in verse 5 was that Jesus is God who has become a man to be the Christ. And so if you speak against the Jesus who is being preached in verse 5, you're, you're not just making theological error or a theological mistake. You're blaspheming. You're saying that God is not God, but Jesus is God. Uh, and so we have that parallel now in verse 28 to, uh, to, to show by the parallel in the language, he's preaching the same gospel now. He's preaching the same gospel now. But he's in Corinth. What has he left behind? He's left behind some men who have sat under the preaching of early Apollos. And so these men are missing the main thing. That Christianity is not merely a religion that gives you 
a philosophy or a theology and a code of conduct. Christianity is a religion that gives you God himself. Christianity is a religion in which the triune God, all three persons of the Godhead, the triune God has given himself to you so that you know the Father as your Father and you call him your Abba and you know that he has loved you not just with with creatorly love as his creature, but even from before the world began, adopting love. That's what it's talking about in Romans 8 when it says those whom he foreknew, he predestined. How do we know? Because of what he predestined them to be. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. Christianity is not merely a religion that gives us a philosophy and a code of conduct. It gives us God as our father and Jesus as our redeemer and our elder brother. Our life, the one to whom we are united by faith, for which the union of marriage was given to man as a type, uh, an example that comes ahead of time, or uh, a, a copy of an example that is going to come later. That's what Paul says at the end of Ephesians 5. He's saying marriage has always been about Christ and the church. He created them one man and one woman to be joined in this unbreakable, exclusive covenant of marriage because when he came to save those sinners whom he would adopt as his children and conform to his son, he was going to do it by uniting the church to his son through faith. That is the marriage, capital T, capital N, which is the purpose for all the rest of our marriages. That's that's why we're married. This is why it's so impossible to be married well to an unbeliever, because we can't even know what marriage is unless we know Christ and his church. Christianity gives us the the Father as our Father, the Lord Jesus as our elder brother and our Redeemer, the one in whom we have our life, the one to whom the church is united as a bride, and the Spirit as our helper, the one who dwells in us and is with us uh, in, in fellowship with whom we live. The theology is important because it's his And he is the gospel. The morality is important because it's his. And it displays not only, not only does it obey him properly, but it displays what he has done in conforming us to himself. So that is uh, early Apollos and late Apollos. very early compared to usual but there's a lot to do here and really like to not get to all the passages that we need to touch and start skipping over them Christianity is a religion in which we receive not a philosophy and a code of conduct but the triune God himself having given himself to us, which is what changes our minds and what changes our hearts. 
Is that what you have? Or do you just have your catechism? You know, it's one thing to memorize your catechism. It's one thing to, it's another thing altogether to experience and live out of the realities that your catechism teaches you about. Let me ask you what your family worship and your private worship are like. Is it a collection of activities? An order that you follow? You know, we, there's nothing wrong with order. We now for, you know, probably at least 20 years, as long as Cassidy can talk, have started family worship. Uh, you know, it's this uh, antiphonal version of Psalm 124, verse 8, the Calvin's call to worship in Geneva. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. And so if dad says God made, and the whole family says everything. Dad says God helps, and the whole family says us. And dad says, so let's worship, and the whole family says God. Our help is in the, Lord, in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. So not criticizing order here. Yeah. If you had family worship with us, you'd say, oh, this is hyper-structured. I actually watched, well, I won't tell you who because you might esteem him too much and follow his uh, uh, advice. He said, uh, don't make it look like a worship service. It's okay if it looks like a worship service. You should have a family worship service in the morning and a family worship service in the evening and your children should learn to conduct themselves in the public worship by how they learn to conduct themselves in the family worship. But is it just a collection of the exercises where you read a passage and maybe you discuss it theologically? Maybe even discuss it applicationally. Here's the stuff we should do now because of what we read in this passage. And then you say a prayer because that's what Christians do. Maybe even you sing because you've been well instructed. Or is it gathering to the God who has given himself to you? by the help of his spirit through union with his son in which you come again and know him as the one who has given you everything good since the last time you worshiped and from whom alone can come everything good until the next time you worship so that as you and your family and the same applies to private worship just for you yourself that you are being renewed again in joy over the fact you're safe with this God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he counts you righteous and he's responding to you as if you have been as obedient as Jesus. And so you can come confessing all of your sin. And the way you're actually going to do better is by his help. And so you're coming to him who has given himself for you and given himself to you that you may have the rest of your life from him. That's devotions. Devotions is not a, 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 a checklist of things that you do so that you can check off the box that you did the checklist today. It's actually living in dependence upon and devotion to. It's something that flows out of delight. If it's not going to be worship, then stop calling it that. 
because it's early Apollos Christianity if it's just Bible discussion time and religious exercises time. It is not better instructed triune God having given himself to us and sustaining our lives by the sovereign grace out of which we live. Christianity. If it's not worship. And so let your private worship be private worship. And let your family worship be family worship. And when you forget, remember, you didn't receive the baptism of John, which was unto repentance. You've received a baptism of water from the one who baptizes with his spirit. And we'll just have to come back and learn more about what that means next Lord's Day. God sparing us and helping us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bless you for the riches of your word. And we bless you. We praise you. We thank you that your word is so rich because it is the word of your grace. And we commit ourselves into your care, the care of your spirit, and to the word of your grace, which your spirit uses. And we pray that you would continue growing us. We thank you that the solution for a lifeless, triune, godless, graceless approach to the Christian life is not merely the addition of another doctrine or another habit, but that it is you yourself. And so we pray that you would come. Come and help us by your Spirit. Give us renewed life, refreshment in Jesus as living water. Your Spirit uh, from him in us, applying the life of Christ to us until living water even flows out of us and we are filled to overflowing. We pray, O oh God, that you would make us to worship you in spirit and in truth in our worship times and to obey you and walk with you in spirit and in truth, even in the times that are not uh, times of stated worship. We pray, Lord, for our children that they would grow up not merely with a form of religion, but that you would come by your spirit whom you pour, even according to the mark that you have given us to put up on them, and that you would give them not the form of the religion merely, but its power through resurrection of their souls and faith into Jesus Christ, union with him, the indwelling of your spirit who made them alive, we ask this for them. We ask this for us. We ask this for all whom you would be willing to bring in. We ask this for all to whom you would give us the opportunity when we go out to tell of the ways of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we ask in the name of the Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen.